Welcome to The Dad Presents. Make sure you're following the show wherever you're listening. And wherever you are out in the world, spread that love and liberty. Let's go. Guys, thank you for joining me. The Dad Presents has been permanently nuked from YouTube. And what was our great crime? Was it porn? Was it threats of violence against innocence? No, it was not. It was interviewing Dr. Peter McCullough, the world's most published cardiologist, interviewing him about myocarditis, which is heart inflammation. So please don't tell me he's not an expert. And please don't tell me that's misinformation. So guys, they don't want you hearing the kind of doctors we interview on this show. They don't want you getting the information that these doctors give to you. They don't want you hearing these experts. The Dad Presents is now on Rumble. Go to rumble.com slash the dad presents, subscribe, leave a comment, share it with someone else, or go to Spotify. We're on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Help this show to fight back against this insane kind of tyranny. The show cannot succeed without your support. So please follow us over there to Rumble or follow us on Spotify. And today, guys, I have an amazing doctor for you, Dr. Robert Malone. He's kind of the guy that started the whole thing with Joe Rogan. He's the one who brought you all the information you didn't have a year and a half ago. And we are so grateful for him and you're going to love hearing from him. But quickly, before we get into that, I've got to address the Martha's Vineyard story because this one blows my mind. If you didn't hear, Ron DeSantis sent 50 illegal immigrants to Martha's Vineyard. Now, I'm not going to tell you what to think about this move that he made, but man, did it highlight the total hypocrisy of these elites. Martha's Vineyard could not get rid of those people fast enough. Martha's Vineyard is one of the richest places per capita in the entire world, yet they shipped those illegals out in under a day. And the reason was they didn't have the resources. They didn't have the resources to take care of 50 poor brown people, yet they fully expect Nogales, Arizona, and other border cities to be able to hand hands of these people. The hypocrisy is stifling. It's just one more example in a very long list of policies these fraudsters advocate for but refuse to live by. They want higher taxes, yet they're going to pay expensive accountants that you can't afford so they can avoid paying their own taxes. They're against walls. Walls are unethical, yet their properties are surrounded by walls. And if you're lucky enough, if you're trying to get onto their property to catch a glimpse of Michelle by the pool, don't know why you'd want it. But if you're trying to scale that wall to catch a, a glimpse of little Michelle Obama and you get over that wall, well, guess what? They've got guns and heavily armed security ready to light you up. Yet they want to defund the police and take away your guns. They're defended, but you can't defend yourself. They want you to drive an electric car. They're going to outlaw gas cars here in California and 17 other states in another decade. Yet they won't think twice about hopping on their private jet and flying from New York to Paris for lunch. They want you to stop eating meat, but when they get over there to Paris, they're going to eat the most expensive steak known to man. They might even eat some exotic animals that are going extinct. They might go have an exotic tiger sandwich. I don't know. These people have no moral compass. They want you masked up. But the only people you ever see masked up at their events 
are their brown servants. You're not going to catch AOC at the Met Gala in a mask, but the servants who are helping her out, oh yeah, they're masked up. They want you to take public transportation to save the environment. But those people aren't going near a subway. There ain't no way you're getting Barack Obama on a bus. They want your kids in public schools, but they wouldn't, their kids would not be caught dead in a public government school. Ew. They want open borders. They want to open up the borders, but just keep those poor brown people away from their homes. That's all. Keep them down to Laredo, Texas. They locked you down for a year. For a year, you couldn't go out and get a beer with your buddy. Your kids couldn't go to school. Meanwhile, they were flying in their private jet to exotic vacations all over the world. These people love war. Has there been a war they don't fully endorse and support and spend your tax dollars on? But somehow, they never seem to send their kids into battle to fight these wars. The elites, these people are grifters. They're liars, they're frauds, and they've been pitting regular people, you and I, against each other for decades, and it's been working. And this Martha's Vineyard ordeal, it's highlighted better than anything I've seen before. And I hope it's enough to wake you guys up so you stop arguing political nonsense with your neighbor. Your neighbor on the right, he's a conservative. Your neighbor on the left, he's a liberal. They hate each other. Those two have far more in common with each other than they have with either Mitt Romney or Hillary Clinton. And it's time to recognize that. It's time to recognize what they are doing. They are stealing away your wealth and liberty, and they're making you hate your neighbor to their benefit and your detriment. And we can no longer allow this. Now let's get into the show. Okay, guys, today we have on a man whom I have the utmost admiration for, a man who had the courage to go against the grain and speak truth to power in the face of persecution. We're Dr. Robert Malone, a physician, biochemist who specialized in drug repurposing, and he's one of the founding fathers of mRNA technology. He was thrust into the public zeitgeist sometime last year when he appeared on the Joe Rogan podcast in a show that has been viewed by like 100 million people and has just created mass chaos in the media. Since that time, he's been speaking courageously, truth all over the country about the risks associated with the vaccine. and. The corporate media, for some reason, just doesn't want to cover it. Dr. Malone, thank you for coming on. How are you doing today? I'm okay. Uh, how about you? I'm doing pretty good. It's been a busy day. This is the, the third show we've recorded today, so I'm, I'm worn out, but I'm excited to talk to you. I've been wanting to have you on for the longest time, and I guess the first thing that I should ask you about is this, this new booster that's just come out. We, we're out here in California, we're in Los Angeles, and, and people are pretty liberal out here, and they buy in very much to all the vaccine propaganda. I worry about my friends and their kids. What do we know about these new boosters? The uh, boosters are uh, bivalent, so they have a uh, mRNA that's the Wuhan 1 strain plus uh, a mRNA that codes for the BA4, BA5 spike protein. Uh, they both basically have the same spike. Uh, they are uh, half doses compared to what they would be as singles. So the total mass of RNA is the same. It's total dose. Uh, they're 
the there's a new variant that's rapidly moving into the population in many uh, regions, uh, which in theory this new booster won't cover. Uh, the boosters that are in in the, uh, the FDA refers to them as a booster. Uh, the White House insists they're a new vaccine. Uh, so I think generally the FDA would be the uh, um, adjudicator of that, but uh, the White House uh, says what it wants to say. Um, yeah. You know, we have no inflation, for instance. Right, right. Uh, um, the uh, These bivalent products uh are are really uh pretty well perfect for continuing to drive one of the main problems with the vaccine with the multiple doses which is immune imprinting and immune imprinting may is certainly one factor that is uh contributing to the uh, global observation that the highly inoculated are the ones that are at highest risk for hospitalization and death in most Western countries. Wow. Um, I mean, that that's startling yeah, compared to well, what they're telling us. It's uh, um, there's a lot of, I think here in, in the kind of the DC world, whatever that means uh, there's, I think many believe that the uptake on these uh, reformulated products, whatever you want to call them, is going to be poor. Uh, so there is a new um, set of peer-reviewed publications that are now verifying that the uh, concern about antibody-dependent enhancement is valid. And uh, those are really just kind of working their way through. There's about five peer-reviewed publications now. And uh, so in sum, the, the products, this, this newly reformulated product, uh, however you want to call it, it remains unlicensed. Uh, this is emergency use. It has had virtually no human clinical testing. Uh, the uh, murine or mouse model testing uh, demonstrated no effectiveness in preventing infection in the mouse model. That's not ever discussed in the press. Uh, it, 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 immunologically, it looks like it, uh, to my eye, would be about perfect for continuing to drive the immune imprinting problem even further. And now we have the literature about antibody dependent enhancement uh, being a real thing. And uh, we also have the new strains that are moving through the population that are mismatched for this current uh, reformulated product. So there's the short version of it. Yeah, uh, I'm afraid I don't have much positive to say. No, no. I mean, all right. So to to review that in layman's terms, 
we got a new strain that this this shot doesn't seem to help. Uh, it's causing immune imprinting. We've got antibody dependent enhancement that might be caused by these these uh, shots. Um, they're using it still. The White House is using it under the Emergency Powers Act, even though three days ago Biden said COVID's over. So how can you oh, exercise uh, emergency powers if there's no emergency? And they've not tested it. Common, common thing now. Uh, the president may say one thing about Taiwan or whatever, uh, and then the White House walks it back. It, it, you know, of course that gives rise to the meme of who's actually driving the bus. Yeah, it who is not appear the to be the, the president? No, I, well, yeah, I didn't know they walked that one back, but I guess you have to walk it back if you're using emergency powers to use an untested vaccine. Untested. And those emergency powers are renewed until after the election for some strange reason. Yeah, some strange reason. I wonder what that is. Um, mm -hmm. All right. So I worry about I, I think there's going to be a lot less people taking this round of the vaccine than last time. I just think a lot of people that have fallen out of favor with it. People are waking up. But I worry already about the millions of kids who've already gotten the first two rounds of shots and maybe that first booster. Um, how far do we know? Do you have any idea? Do you have a guess of how far a kid needs to be removed from his last shot for all that spike protein to be out of his system and to be out of the, the zone of where there's risk for side effects? Or will we not know this for like years? Uh, I don't, I don't, we don't have the data to answer your question. Um, uh, in adults, based on the uh, cell paper from, I think it was February, that was one of the first to discuss the immune imprinting that did the axillary biopsies. So stuck a needle in the uh, armpit and grabbed cells from lips uh, on the side where people had been injected. This was in adults. Yes. Uh, the spike protein was still present at 60 days. Um uh, and, and so, uh, I, I don't know what we can say about the children. Uh, they may have different kinetics. It's shocking that the kinetics have not the pharmacokinetics is the big word. Uh, how long would things stick around? Where would they go in the body? Those kinds of things. That's those studies don't really exist. Uh, it, it, it is shocking to me. Uh, but I'm, I'm at the level now where I, uh, all the norms in what I've been trained over the last 30 years in terms of clinical development and testing and that kind of stuff had just been thrown in the trash can. Yeah. Um, uh, so it's at some point you have to stop being shocked, I guess, although it's still shocking. Um, so for the children, as you may know from my record and the various videos that I've cut and other things, uh, I, I have long identified trying to stop the childhood mandates as the one thing that I hoped that I might achieve. Uh, and the thing that I tried to, you know, we use the phrase like the hill that I would die on. Um, uh, the, uh, the risk of myocarditis alone in uh, children, particularly males, is... Uh, really massive. I, I don't know what else to say. 
Uh, it's it's gro- it's still grossly underreported. Um, uh, when you say massive, there's a lot of efforts to kind of normalize it. When, uh, we're seeing advertisements come out now from hospitals is trying to make it seem like childhood myocarditis is a normal thing. Yeah, we're seeing articles every day out here in the LA Times about all these uh, recent heart problems and attributing it to this, that, and the other thing. They've they've tried to link it to pretty much anything other global than the warming. one thing everybody I'm, knows. I'm sure. I'm sure it's caused by global warming. <laughs> yeah, especially I mean, in LA. Yes, hundred <laughs> percent. That's probably got to be it. Now you said. You said a massive risk. That's the word you use, massive. Do you mean a massive risk in comparison to the risk presented to children by COVID? What do you mean by a massive risk? It is absolutely high, higher, significantly higher than the risk uh, posed by COVID for children. But um, uh, there are many studies out now that are demonstrating that if you are rigorous in prospective assessment of indicators of cardiac damage in children prior, you know, through the vaccination. Um, You're seeing things like elevation of uh, troponins, cardiac troponins in up to half of, of the children that have been inoculated. My goodness. And um, they, obviously we have these numbers uh, from various sources of, you know, one in 3000, give or take has been the number that's kind of been circulating for a long time through multiple studies, probably over a year now, uh, 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 one in 3,000 young men, uh, young boys, uh, um, suffering clinical myocarditis. This is myocarditis that would put you in the hospital uh, typically. And uh, there has been a lot of effort to normalize that and say, oh, it's it's minor and it goes away and those kinds of things. it seems like from the physicians that I'm talking to and the cardiologists, pediatric cardiologists, that um, the uh, consequences of the myocarditis observed post-vaccination seem to be tracking kind of very similar to regular viral myocarditis, um, which has a very significant mortality rate at five years. So, uh, we, you asked the question about the long-term consequences in children. Uh, I think that we can't, we don't, we don't have the data right now, and it would be irresponsible. And many people talk about wild numbers and and doomsday scenarios, uh, and that would be irresponsible for you and I. We're we're not cut from that cloth. Uh, this is not a conspiracy program, uh, but um, I think that we do have to recognize that there is significant uh, risk. In in particular, it seems that the risk of sudden death manifests often uh, in high-performing athletes and individuals, and often people when they're, um, uh, particularly young men, uh, during periods of athletic stress. Yes. Uh, and that that's consistent with uh, heart when heart damages. This this is absolutely true. Heart heart doesn't really heal; it scars, and the scar tissue conducts electricity electricity differently. You know, the heart is very much an electric organ, and uh, that's what triggers these you know coordinated pulses of contraction. 
mm-hmm. our electrical circuits. And yes. when those electrical circuits get damaged uh, by any number of things um, and a scar forms, then the electricity passes through the scar at a slower rate than it passes through the normal conductive tissue of the muscle. And um, that results in kind of a delayed signal. It's like the rest of the electricity all goes around the scar and then this goes through the scar slowly. And then it gets to the other side after the heart muscle is already contracted and is partially recovering. And it can trigger another kind of pseudo contraction. So can and it cause like arrhythmia? That's how you get to ventricular fibrillation. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. Ventricular fibrillation is basically sudden death because um, uh, you can't live without a pump that's working. The other thing that triggers sudden death that may explain some of these uh, sudden events on on sports field, things like that, is, of course, stroke. And uh, the the literature now is quite rich that these products, it's spike protein has a variety of of, uh, uh, toxicities, pathologic effects. You mentioned the uh, Joe Rogan Experience uh, podcast that uh, got so heavily censored and caused Neil Young to lose his cookies <laughs> and all of Google. Um, and uh, like in the entire old Laurel Canyon crew just kind of had a meltdown. The Laurel um, Canyon crew, that's good, yeah. <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, these people that that were used, to, we all thought they were brave uh, truth warriors during nope. the 60s. <laughs> apparently not no not at all yeah, they, they are of, the man kind of, we thought they were fighting the man they they are the man yeah they that their their legacy got tarnished a bit there mm-hmm. but um but the literature now is quite rich that spike is associated with a variety of coagulopathies that's a big word that means blood clotting and of course we know about these unusual large clots that have formed both in living athletes that have to be stripped out and in cadavers. We've all seen that um, in the internet. If you, if you go online and uh, those are concerning for sure. And the pulmonary embolus. So if it breaks loose in your, you know, you got a clot in your leg or your pelvis and it breaks loose and it comes up into your uh, lungs. uh, uh, That's, that's a big problem. Um, but uh, in in two of my colleagues, uh, physicians that travel all the time, have had that problem. Um, uh, I mean, it's something that can happen routinely to yeah. any of us, especially if you have a damage, uh, you know, broken bone or something like that. But uh, even perhaps more worrisome are the microcoagulopathy. So these little tiny blood clots that block the capillaries, the very small vessels in your body. And it's from the literature, it's looking like the microcoagulopathy may be responsible for much of the post-vaccination syndrome problems, these kind of chronic debilitating things that people are experiencing. Okay. Uh, there's also the autoimmune uh, syndromes, and that's coming to fore more and more, particularly you know the platelets, one of the things about spike is it's sticky. It not only sticks to ACE2, but it sticks to a lot of other stuff. And when you have a foreign protein, a viral protein, typically that's sticky like that, your immune system will, will see the combination, the intersection of the 
foreign protein, the viral protein, and your normal proteins. And it will see that area where they come together and it'll say, well, that's not normal. And it'll learn to attack that. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then once it starts attacking that, well, it's attacking the good part, not just the spike. I shouldn't laugh. Um, And this is why classically uh, we want at least a year, uh, preferably two years of follow-up safety data on any vaccine once it's reached phase three. Uh, That's the very large trials. Uh, And as you know, the clinical trials that were done were were cut short very quickly. Uh, The control group was jabbed, so there is no longer a control group. Um, They were supposed to last for a couple of years for exactly this reason, for detecting the, uh, um, in particular, the uh, autoimmune-related problems that have plagued vaccines in the past. And that, of course, it feeds into things like Guillain-Barre syndrome, et cetera, nervous disorders, nervous system disorders. And uh, and that never happened. I, I was stunned. Uh, today, I wrote a substack up about, and uh, a chapter for the book, about a, a study that came out of Yale uh, that was a 4,000-person randomized controlled trial. Uh, so full full metal jacket, uh, prospective clinical study, um, a bunch of different treatment groups, 4,000 patients. Uh, it had a six-month follow-up, rigorously done, uh, much more rigorously than the vaccine trials. And it was for designing optimal messaging to uh, get people to take the vaccine and to uh, help them to uh, put pressure here so that they would take the vaccine. Those are the endpoints, wow. basically. They, they, so put they put more, more emphasis effort, into that. Wow. They put more effort into so clinical trials to design the propaganda than they did uh, the clinical trials for the vaccines themselves, which I just found, I was gobsmacked when I read that's, it. That's very revealing. That's very revealing. ExpressVPN.com slash the dad. Look, guys, the FBI and NSA, they're tracking you, man. If you're a parent and you use the word liberty or patriot in your bio on Twitter or whatever, or you talk about it on Facebook, guess what? They're spending money to track your web activity. Last year alone, 4 million Americans were tracked. That data recently came out. 4 million Americans were spied on by the FBI, and they're not going after the lefties. So protect yourself and protect your family with a VPN blocker from expressvpn.com slash the dad. There's just no reason to not do this at this point. You get three free months. If you don't like it by the fourth month, you cancel. Cancel by month four. You never pay for it. So try it out. Expressvpn.com slash the dad. Protect yourself. Protect your privacy. Protect your family. Our second sponsor is zstacklife.com slash the dad. Guys, COVID's still here. Still here. People aren't dying from it, but you don't want to get it. I had it. It's no fun. Flu season's coming back around. Get your body right and ready and healthy. Exercise eat right, and get all the vitamins you need for a strong immune system in one dose from Z-Stack Life, which was created by the great Dr. Zelenko, who was one of the first brave doctors to stand up and fight against the COVID regime. Go to zstacklife.com slash dad, get 15% off, get your body right. 
let's get back into the show. Now, you said that they've they've done a lot to try to normalize heart inflammation in children. Um, that's that's twisted because even even if these, from what I understand, most of these children who have the myocarditis are asymptomatic. But what you're saying is, even though they're asymptomatic, down the road they could have problems because they might have some scar tissue forming, which could cause problems down the road. So just because they're yeah, out of the water so now it, doesn't mean they're safe. When they say asymptomatic. Um, if you kind of look under the covers, what are they really saying? What they're saying is the symptoms weren't so severe that it caused the child to go to the hospital or to visit their doctor. Okay. okay? That's, that's a long way from asymptomatic. Right, right. That's why you have to do the prospective trials to see, well, have they released enzymes from their heart that are, that are only released when there's heart damage? That's the troponins, yes. for instance. And when you do that in the very small number of randomized controlled, uh, you know, prospective trials, um, uh, or I should say they're prospective, they're not randomized because uh, we can't really do that anymore. But in the small number of rigorous prospective trials, I say it's it's up to about 50% of uh, um, these young patients that have received the product that have evidence of cardiac damage. Absolutely wild. So, well, you said so you, not, you're saying that the this whole language about uh, asymptomatic. It's, it's not asymptomatic. Yeah, symptomatic is is really contrived. It's like if you get the flu but you don't go to the hospital, you still have a, a cough and a low grade fever. You're not asymptomatic. You just didn't need to go to the hospital. Uh, precisely, and yeah. nobody scored it saying you had the flu because uh, you never came onto the radar. Right. Well, now this this um, this myocarditis and all these problems, you're attributing them to the spike protein in the vaccine. But how is that different than the spike protein in COVID itself? Because that this is what detractors will say is that you the, the spike protein in COVID is just yeah, as yeah. dangerous. What's um, the difference? So and actually early on when I you you uh you skipped a little bit of my history where I really first uh made a splash uh in a in a unpleasant way was uh, when I went on Brett Weinstein's Dark Horse podcast. Yes, I remember that uh, one. Mm -hmm. And uh, that had a few million views, which at the time I thought was a big deal. Hmm. Uh, um, and one of the things I said was that Spike is a toxin and and uh, all of the little ankle biting fact checkers all over the world came out and bit me on that one. Uh, but I knew what the data were uh, and I knew what the definition of <laughs> toxin is. Um, uh, so now one of the things they said was at the time, there was a, a lot of assertions that the spike protein in the vaccine had been engineered so that it was not toxic, unlike the spike protein in the virus. That was just a lie. Okay. Um, there are two point mutations in this S1 subunit of spike. That's the part that stays in the, attached to the cell after it's expressed and displayed on the surface of the cell. So it's got like these two spike is a trimer. I like to talk about it like a treble hook if you ever go fishing. Sure. Um, and uh, so each of those has, if you think about that treble hook, uh, you think about the part down there where you tie the, the strip, the um, fishing line to it. Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh so that little round part, you can think of that as the part that attaches to the cell. And 
about a quarter of the way down the the shaft uh, of that treble hook, there's a little cleavage site, uh, you know, uh, furine is involved in that cleavage, but um, there's a cleavage site uh, that cuts loose the S2 subunit that goes in the circulation and does whatever it does, including binding ACE2 and your platelets and a number and the heart muscle and other things. And the, and part of it stays attached to the cell. So now we kind of got that established, S1, S2. And in S1, uh, for the vaccines, uh, it was learned before, you know, in the time of MERS and SARS-1 vaccine development, that you could put two little tiny point mutations in that and it would make it more immunogenic, okay? okay. So there are two prolines for the in, uh, aficionados here. Uh, and... Um, they make it more immunogenic. They have nothing to do with its toxicity. Okay. Uh, they have nothing to do with the head groups uh, that bind to ACE2 and other things. Uh, and um, it, they have absolutely nothing to do with reducing the toxicity. So then the question, why might one see uh, toxicity with uh spike um, from the mRNA product or the uh, recombinant adenovirus in the case of J&J and uh, not be observing that with the vaccine. Why would that be? It doesn't make sense. Um, so that I referenced that cell paper before and uh, that paper, which got almost no coverage in the press, I'm stunned and I'm sure <laughs> you are too. Uh, um, uh, it, the movie Casablanca comes to mind for some reason. Um, uh, if you remember, maybe famous scene uh, about there being gambling uh, in Rick's uh, uh, and the gendarme says uh, that he's stunned by this. Uh, <laughs> so um, and Rick gives him his winnings afterwards. Remember, that's the scene. You're in L.A., so you must know that Casablanca. Um, so it's it's much the same uh, that the cell paper clearly demonstrates that the levels of spike protein produced in the vaccinated individuals in circulating in the blood are much, much higher than the levels produced in the blood after the natural infection. And remember the natural infection occurs typically in your nose and oral yes. pharynx. Right. And uh, as it kicks in, remember the virus doesn't come in like a Mack truck. It kind of, it sneaks in and, and it, it gets in there and it starts replicating as it's replicating. Forgive me. I got to sneeze. <laughs> Bless you. All this talk about virus in the nose. <laughs> um, so as it gets in there, it starts growing. And it, by the way, it needs things like little breaks in the epithelium uh, in that world. Wonderful stuff. Uh, but it gets in there, starts growing as your immune system is starting to respond to it. So it's very dynamic. The virus is growing. Your immune system is kicking in, right? Right. And, and so the whole thing kind of gets quenched. You're fighting uh, it before it way. really gets into the bloodstream. Yeah. And, and with in the case of the jabs, uh, you're, that's the Mack truck. I mean, you're right. coming in uh, with the dump truck yeah. uh, right there and uh, putting in a whole bunch of this in, into the blood of your um, child you suddenly have a massive amount of this protein produced and circulating and doing whatever business it's going to do. 
Wow. Uh, so that's why you see this difference. And that and makes it, sense. That makes it's sense. It's very easy to understand. When, you, when you break it down like that, it's so obvious. Yeah. Anybody, anybody who's had two biology classes in college should be able to get that. Yeah. Or, or any kind of uh, mathematics, they can understand curves. Um, <laughs> so uh, once again, uh, see the way it works is that in the pharmaceutical industry is a really dark truth here in the pharmaceutical industry. You don't ever do a study that you don't have to do when you're trying to get a product licensed or approved Bad for business. Yeah. Well, it, it, things can go wrong. Right. And so you just don't do it. Uh, it may be the right thing to do. It may be the good science thing to do. But if you can get away without doing it, you don't do it. That's just right. the rules. Uh, and in, in, in a system that is actually functional, the FDA uh, acts as the gatekeeper. And they say, no, 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 no. You've got to do these things. We've all agreed in these uh, various guidelines that we've all approved internationally over the last 30 years. It says you have to do this, that, and the other thing. Uh, but if if the if the uh, gatekeeper is under political pressure uh, from the White House, uh, mm -hmm. from the executive, uh, to uh, open the gates uh, because of all the drama, uh, and risk and fear and all of that ecosystem with the fear porn, uh, then um, then the, the, the person down at the FDA who may already have uh, his eye on his exit strategy from his government job uh, only making 150,000 and how he could just turn around and make three or 400,000 if he plays it nice mm -hmm. uh, for you know as he runs out his time, and he goes to work for pharma. So then the, all the incentives are there and things just don't get done. And, and it's really the fault of the FDA that we don't have this clear information that would have made it self-evident to everybody. Yes. And this, it was stunning to me that it only finally came out from this group at Stanford uh, published in this very large group uh, published in this obscure journal called Cell which is probably arguably the top journal in the world for this kind of stuff. Uh, so it's kind of uh, um, incontrovertible. You, you know, you can't, you cannot argue that these people didn't know what they were doing or uh, any of that kind of stuff. This is a really high powered team from one of the top universities in the world, publishing in the top journal in the world. Mm -hmm. uh, but why this wasn't done before. Uh, um why this wasn't done before these were widely deployed in humans is uh, another question that someone is going to have to reconcile at some point. Yes. Well, like you said, the pharmaceutical companies, they're not going to do tests that they don't have to because their whole goal is to make a dollar and you're supposed to have this gatekeeper. But what we have is the pharmaceutical industry has captured government. They have government captured. And we know that because government, the Biden administration was telling Twitter to ban people like Alex Berenson, right? They were trying, they were shutting them down. And then we also have the mainstream media has been captured. Something yeah. like 75% of all the ads that you will see on news channels 
are pharmaceutical company ads. So clearly the media is captured as well. So you cannot get an honest, uh, an honest accounting accountability for these companies. They've captured the entire market. So to run with that thread um, and build on it a little bit, uh, with the, uh, as you correctly identify, and it's documented through multiple sources now and in multiple FOIAs, including the Jeff Landry lawsuit uh, that has just released a huge trove of documents. We had many, many agencies and over 60 uh, federal personnel uh, interacting on a routine daily basis with uh, um, tech uh, to suppress not only targeted individuals, including myself, Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, also uh, deplatforming and prohibiting anybody from saying certain keywords. It was all algorithmic. Oh yeah, uh, and this included uh, deplatforming any of the uh, groups that were formed of individuals that experienced uh, vaccine damage. So those yep. the people not only had the consequences of having been damaged and uh, being ridiculed in their daily lives uh, by a variety of you know, social pressures. But then even when they tried to form uh, groups on even confidential groups on social media, then they were deplatformed. It's incredibly ugly. Yes. And functionally though, what I wanna get at was what the end consequence of that was is that people were unable to obtain true informed consent. And this gets back to the fundamentals of uh, the Nuremberg Accord and the Helsinki Accord. Oh, man. Uh, which it requires that for an unlicensed product, and really for any medical procedure, but particularly for an unlicensed medical product like this, which these are, Emergency use authorization is not a license to market. Um, there has to be full and complete uh, free informed consent. And so tech basically colluded, tech and media colluded with the government to prevent patients from having true informed consent. And uh, we, I protested specifically outside of Twitter HQ in Ireland we were there a few weeks ago over this topic, as did many of the other docs that I, I tour with. Um, but at some point, this lawsuit, these lawsuits will come forth. Uh, and and uh, I think the liability, uh, it, it, the pharmaceutical industry has really done a great job at building a liability firewall, uh, working together with the government. Oh, yeah. I don't. That liability firewall is going to protect uh, media and tech. I hope not. I hope not. Someone needs to be held accountable. You mentioned deplatforming. So this show was taken off of YouTube just yesterday for interviewing uh, Dr. Peter McCullough. So now guy, uh, people are going to be listening on Spotify and Rumble because they believe in free speech. But you also mentioned how they silenced people who were injured. Uh, and that brings me to this. Just, just today, earlier today, we interviewed Ernest Ramirez and Ernest brought up your name and he well, said, I, I a, a friend, deep friend. I, yes. I, uh, let me, let me tell you what he said. He, he, he brought up your name. He didn't know we were going to have you on later in the day. He brought you up and he said, you were the only guy 
who personally reached out to him and expressed any kind of condolences. Everyone else was calling him a liar. The media was attacking him. He was banned on social media. What I want to know is, you know, you, you were, you know, living a pretty good life. You were probably going to coast your way possibly into a Nobel Peace Prize. Um, that was definitely on the table. Everybody gets that wrong. Well, Nobel Peace Prize is separate. Uh, yeah. uh, medicine and physiology or chemistry, but okay, we'll whatever you were going to get something important. You were doing well. What is it? What made you decide to step up and start speaking out against this stuff? Because so many others out there will not do it. Uh, because it was the right thing to do. Uh, you may or may not. I hope you don't recall the uh, smear piece that the Atlantic Monthly did on me. Uh, um, I, I will never forget it personally, but um, uh, it was a fascinating thing. Uh, this young reporter had interviewed me and we'd given him all kinds of access to documents and things. This is early in the outbreak and I've learned yeah. better since then. Um, but, uh, you know, oh, I just want to tell your story or whatever. And uh, he kind of went away for a while. And then all of a sudden he called me uh, right after I had written an op-ed with Peter Navarro in uh, the Washington Times, in which we had basically advocated for the Great Barrington Declaration uh, with the add-ons that I, I we suggested that uh, tests should be made widely available to people in their home. So they could self-diagnose. That was, yes. uh, and that was a uh, heresy apparently at the time. And uh, then, so right after that, I get a call from this reporter and he's asking exactly the same question you are. And, and I kept telling him because it was the right thing to do. He would not accept that as a valid response. Uh, yeah. He insisted that I must have some financial angle here that I was working, some conflict of interest to cause me to do this. Mm -hmm. um, Some people have no moral compass. They can't even relate to what you were doing. It's exactly. Yeah. We're now, exactly. We're in an environment in which um, it is considered bizarre to uh, behave ethically. Uh, it's, it's uh, the, a reporter, young reporter cannot comprehend it working for the Atlantic monthly as a, as a possibility, even it's not, doesn't enter their, their psychological space. Yeah. But um, what people don't uh, often few people know is this isn't my first rodeo in uh, destroying my career uh, because I spoke out about a bioethical problem. The first one uh, was uh, a couple decades ago when Dr. Jim Wilson basically killed. Uh, Jesse Gelsinger that died. Unfortunately. Say that again. That froze up for a second. I don't think we picked that up. Jesse Gelsinger was his name at UPenn. This is Jim Wilson, the uh, famous gene therapist, quote unquote famous. Uh, there's a great article out about him right now in Stat News. Uh, but uh, um, I I knew what had happened in that case. I was uh, very much at the forefront in gene therapy at the time, including the application for vaccines. And uh, my wife and I were taking training from a bioethicist required training. This, you know, this is what you have to do if you're going to run clinical trials. 
And I went to him and I said, hey, I know the backstory on this. This is what really happened. And he told me I had an ethical obligation uh, to speak to the press about what I knew. And I knew when I took that step of speaking out, uh, among others, to show Gay Stolberg uh, at the New York Times, and this is one of the things that kind of made her a big shot, was this story. Uh, I knew that it was really going to damage me academically. Mm-hmm. But I did it anyhow because it was the right thing to do. And it kind of destroyed my academic career. Uh, but I was able to recover uh, and go on in different directions as part of why I became more focused on DOD uh, rather than academia uh, and, and uh, began my work with Dineport Vaccine Company working on in the biodefense sector after the anthrax attacks. But my point is, um, this isn't my first time uh, standing up and saying, no, this isn't right. Uh, I'm not going to go along with this and I'm going to speak out about it. And uh, having been through it, uh, it gives you a certain inner peace uh, to to know that you've been tested and uh, and you stood the test. Yeah. Uh, you know, you you did the right thing and it was the right thing to speak out about what was happening in the gene therapy sector at that time and what happened with Jesse Gelsinger. Uh, and it was the right thing to speak out of this time, even though uh, I may have, have taken some hits for it. And uh, I, you know, thank you for the honor of suggesting that I might win the the, the Nobel. I'm not going to hold my breath for that one. Hmm. It's highly political and Pfizer yeah. makes donations. Uh, so, I, you know, they played it quite well. Uh, with um, the two that assert that they, uh, it's basically a stolen valor story. Um, uh, Katie Carrico and Drew Weissman. Um, and those two characters who came long after I did my stuff and all the patents and everything um, have had millions and millions of dollars in awards given to yeah. them, uh, much more than they would get from a Nobel. Uh, but that's just the way things are. I can live with myself. Yeah, they don't have they don't have character and and you know they don't have the love of millions of people who you've steered in the right direction. People Thank respect you, so you and people love you for what you've done. Um, you. you you recently you wrote something on Substack the other day. I've, I I follow your Substack and I found it I found it very relatable. And I wanted to ask you about this. It's kind of, you know it's kind of outside the the medicine and the the tech and all the advanced stuff. Are but you a you horse wrote, too? I'm sorry. Are you a horse person too? No, I'm not. I'm not a horse person. I'm not. In fact, I, I rode a horse one time. I was thrown off that horse and I had to have three surgeries because of it. My wife <laughs> rode a horse one time. The horse fell on top of her. I thought she was dead. So no, we're not, we're not horse people. Uh, I was just teasing you. So what were you going to lead in on? Okay. So you, I just, I'm going to read what you wrote. Just a couple of quotes from it. I found it very relatable. You wrote that sometimes it's a curse and not always a blessing to be awake. No one talks about the darkness that accompanies awakening or the grief, not only grieving the life and illusions you once had, but the realization that almost everything you thought you once knew was a lie, feeling you no longer have much in common with the people you are surrounded by, struggling with carrying on bullshit, shallow conversations that lack substance with those who are still fast asleep. I found that to be very relatable. 
Um, once the truth and reality break through and all the bullshit that we're, that you see that we're being manipulated by our government, manipulated by these corporations, and not just in regards to the vaccines, but about everything, the war, um, everything, we're being manipulated and lied to. Once yes. you see that, it kind of sucks because most of your friends and most people around you, they don't see through it and it starts to become lonely and you either have to bite your tongue or start annoying everybody around you or, or, uh, move to Nashville. Um, <laughs> right. Uh, so, <laughs> which is what many people do. Right. I, I, my heart goes out to you. We, as you know, uh, the docs went to LA for a stop the mandates rally. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I was having, I, I was born in Palo Alto. Okay. I grew up along the coast, uh, lived in Van Nuys when I was really young. Um, but since junior high grew up in Goleta, which is just north of Santa Barbara, Central Coast, right off, you know, right. I used to ride my bike across 101 to go to the beach. Uh, and um, and it was shocking to me to come back to California or when we went to uh, Silicon Valley uh, to speak at the Calvary uh, Church there. Uh, which the uh, Santa Clara, I guess, county has tried to shut down because they wouldn't use masks and fine them $3 million, et cetera. I was shocked at what's happened to my home state. Mm -hmm. uh, and and it's not, you know, we hear these words, all this hyperbole. We we set ourselves up as left versus right. And and uh, we talk about California's California uh, or, or all this, all these pejoratives. But um, I really grieved for what has happened to um, my birthplace. And I actually wrote, written some substacks about that, yeah. uh, as well as a, a, a Friday Funnies in which we put a parody of Hotel California up that was really good. <laughs> but, uh, um, but all kidding aside, uh, I, I don't understand what's happened culturally uh, to California. And many of those in my age cohort, I think are similarly perplexed. Uh, yes. um, and, and I, all I can say is my heart goes out to you for uh, what you must be living through. Many, as you know, have, have just uh, bailed out and uh, gone to Florida, Texas, uh, Nashville is popular. And, and uh, we're, my wife and I, have found our own little slice of happiness in Virginia. Yeah. Uh, but um, I, I, I don't know what to say that the, I recently have been having um, shots taken at me because of my uh, trying to bring to people's attention, the work of Matthias Desmond in the mass formation. Yes. Hypothesis. We, we had him on the show as well. After I heard you mention him, but, he's, he's yeah. brilliant. Yes, uh, he is absolutely. Yeah, Tucker Carlson called him the smartest guy he's interviewed in thirty years. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, but that seems to have provoked uh, some people on my right. Uh, I think there may be an academic jealousy component, and now they're attacking me for this, saying that somehow I'm uh, placing the blame for what's happened on the individual instead of on the. Uh, globalists that have been manipulating and I don't know, it's a very contrived argument, but it's, um, it's very hurtful 
uh, to to be hit from both sides uh, yeah. and trying to do the right thing and help people and being attacked for it. And, and I, I guess What's... that I'm saying that by way of trying to express empathy that in a, that I, you know, I can't know what you experience in your, in your cultural context, but I know what I'm experiencing. And I know that, that, uh, that phenomena of hypnosis that uh, Matthias talks about in his book, uh, Psychology of Totalitarianism, but before him, Gustave Le Bon spoke about in the late 1800s. Uh, you know, there's this whole theme that I somehow fabricated these words that I said on Joe Rogan. Um, that's absolutely not true. They've been in the literature for literally centuries, uh, the mass formation and mass psychosis. But Han Art uh, in the 20th century in particular, and many others. Uh, but, but it is odd that a fraction of the population seems to be walking around in a state of hypnosis. I think it's the best explanation for it. And if you had Matthias on, you understand what I'm talking about. Yeah, he laid it out uh, really eloquently and, and it, it makes perfect sense. And I think I got more feedback on that episode than, than any. Yeah, California, when I moved here from Pennsylvania and I moved here because I viewed it as a place, a state of rebels and leaders, and it's just become a, a place of, of, of sheep, of people who just take orders and don't ask questions. And, and that's hard for me to imagine. Now, what I was getting at more with, with that piece is I'm wondering what have you lost in all this? Because it, you are taking shots from the left and taking shots from the right. And it's because people want, people are upset. People are angry. People are hurting and they want to scapegoat. They want to blame somebody else. Nobody will take personal responsibility. Yeah. I got to tell you, I'm, I'm, um, really starting to get beaten down. Um, it's just the hate is nonstop. Uh, it's, it's unfortunate. Just, it's just nonstop. And that's why I appreciated your kind words. Um, uh, our, we've, I, I, our children don't like us to talk about them in any way in any broadcast. Uh, my wife, I'm, why, I'm not using the imperial we. I'm referring mm. to my longstanding uh, married relationship with Dr. Joe Glasspool Malone, who's my partner. And um, we're estranged from our younger son. He he actually posted on Facebook that he thought that we were um uh we had gone mad that we we had uh oh, had a psychological break of some that's kind. heartbreaking. That's heartbreaking, doctor. I'm so sorry. Really, really hard for my wife. She was very close with him. And uh, our older son's wife is a teacher and she's all caught up in the teacher's union and all that. Um, and so they don't, they haven't really, I don't think we've seen our grandchildren um, now for almost two years. Oh uh, my God. And they live in West Virginia. They're not that far away, but she didn't want us visiting. Uh, her reaction when I told her she had to listen to the Rogan podcast was she never listens to Rogan. He's crazy. Um, yeah. It just, uh, and then here in our part of Virginia, we're surrounded by a, a very rural county and um, just lots and lots of love and, and uh, appreciation. Uh, I, it's a little odd to ha- be a hero to the local sheriff's mm-hmm. office. 
<laughs> but there it is. It's not the way it was for me when I was growing up um, in the 70s in the central coast of California. We'll just leave it at that. Yeah, right. uh, but, but, you know, times change. Uh, and we have, we live here in an area that has uh, a number of leading conservatives, the Schlapps, for instance, that run CPAC. Uh, and, and many others. And we have a little group that comes together every other weekend. My wife, uh, DC with some of them for the congressional women's caucus tomorrow. So it's, it's a new, uh, new colleagues are because I spoke out, I've lost, um, basically most of my, uh, professional, uh, ties that I had nurtured for decades, uh, with uh, people in in the government in particular, uh, in the Department of Defense. Uh, one of, a guy that I had known and considered a friend um, since he was a postdoc, uh, you know, um, very young. Uh, and he's now a very senior person at Defense Threat Reduction Agency, essentially a civilian uh, version of a brigadier general. Um, He's he's given uh, rather nasty comments to the liberal press that have attacked me. So that that, that relationship hurts. got, um, and that was one that had been to, you know very tight. We'd been at his house. He'd stayed at our house. His wife had stayed at our farm numerous times, and and uh, that's all shot. A lot of a lot of loss. Yeah, yeah. Wow. It's too. It it what you said about your your son and your daughter your friend that that all breaks my heart it breaks my heart and and then when i hear people accuse you of being a grifter and then i hear all the personal sacrifice you've made that is it's infuriating you've you've given up so much to get the truth out there and and i want you to know that so many of us appreciate what you've done and history history will will judge you and history will judge you the right way 10 years from now when all the data is out and and it's out in the open and nobody's trying to cover it up anymore history will judge you for the hero that you are and these relationships will mend themselves i'm sorry you've you've had to deal with this thanks for the kind words it it the truth is it's lately um people that i thought uh were colleagues and and fellow warriors and friends in this have turned on me. And, and, uh, that's, uh, that's been very troubling. And, and then the, you know, no one, no one wants to be accused of being a mass murder. Uh, and, uh, there's uh, <laughs> mass murder for supporting mass formation psychosis. That's right. Yeah. This is uh, one, one psychologist in particular, a very elderly psychologist seems to have just taking it as a personal mission to uh, make my life a slice of hell. Um, and I, it's very uh, draining. Yes, I can imagine. I don't know when, when science became political. Like I, I went to college 20 years ago. There was politics were not involved in science. And we've gotten to this point now where science is political. And there are certain things that are just, taboo to say like you're a doctor you're you're as qualified as anybody and for you to share certain ideas they've been marked as taboo by people who know nothing by by lay people right so so what you haven't seen 
Um, and uh, it's part of also why I've been, another part of my story is that I had a nervous breakdown uh, as I left the Salk Institute um, in the middle of a huge patent fight um, with, uh, this is 1989, uh, when the university was fighting with the Salk um, over my inventions, um, which they subsequently dropped the patent on. So it's, and I got caught in the crossfire. So I've had that kind of experience and I cut my teeth very early on in big science. And my point is that, and this, this was, I was right at the forefront of the, as a, as an undergraduate in a laboratory that was among the first in the, uh, AIDS uh, retrovirus world. Um, so I, you know, I've I've met Bob Gallo multiple times. Met Luke Montagnier. Uh, was talking to Luke up until he passed away practically. Uh, so I saw big hardball science then, and then I saw it at the Salk Institute in a very big, unpleasant way. And then I saw it with what happened with the DNA vaccines and the RNA vaccines, and where I'm getting at is that you may not have seen it, but for decades, uh, science has, uh, big science has been big politics. It's been wicked. Uh, There's a story, just an anecdote. Uh, So the French actually discovered the virus uh, LAV, which eventually was renamed HIV. Uh, and, And it's true, Bob Gallo basically stole it from him. Um, and, uh, Bob Gallo was really quick in his group to build a diagnostic test kit and Eliza for it. Uh, and that Eliza, because the patent was held by the NIH generated a huge amount of revenue, uh, globally. And, um, uh, you remember when the F-111s went, attacked, uh, Gaddafi, they had to fly over French airspace. And the way I heard the story was a deal was cooked to allow the F-111s to fly over French airspace that involved an agreement on profit sharing on the HIV ELISAs. My goodness. Um, My point is that it has always been uh, politicized. uh, We've just not been paying attention, apparently. But you've been protected from it. What's happened is that it's that, that big, ugly you know, the world that Tony Fauci lives in. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's really been pushed down to the level where we all encountered the reality of it, but it's always been there. Yeah. That level of corruption has Disgusting. been there my entire career. And that's why big government doesn't work because big government is always going to be corrupted. If you have a, a structure that is that powerful, then it's going to be corrupted by the people who have the money. And when I hear when I hear that story and when I hear that truth, it makes me like I don't know anything about things like global warming. I only know what I hear, but it makes me start to question everything I've already accepted as being factual. Right. And that, that loops back to your earlier comment uh, when you were reading that little quote from me. It's not just the social isolation. And uh, um, some of my physician colleagues, Paul Barrick in particular, has been impacted by this. Uh, he speaks about how his life was very settled. He was kind of cruising in like me to, towards retirement. 
And uh, in his case, he speaks about basically coming home, sitting down into the lazy boy and uh, flipping open the Washington Post, the New York Times. And that was his life. And now his comment is, I can't read those papers anymore. it's It's a microcosm of once you see the manipulation of information, media, and the psychological manipulation of all of us, um, then, then the next thing is you start questioning, do I really understand current reality? Right. And then you have this kind of retrospective thing where, where you start looking back and saying, how much of what I thought was real was really fabricated uh, propaganda um, storylines. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and you look back at, you know, uh, then, then suddenly the, uh, you know, it, you can quickly fall down the rabbit hole of the Twin Towers in Afghanistan and, and it, you know, it just goes on and on and on. And pretty soon you're, you're left wondering, um, are we really the good guys? Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's, that's the big ugly that's going to come out fairly soon now. Yeah. Uh, Bobby's working on it with his next book, Bobby yeah. Kennedy. Um, well, you say we, we, the good guys, you're, you're, you're talking about the United States federal government. And I like to make the right. distinction between them and myself. You're a good guy. I'm a good guy. We're not so sure about them. Well, I would say as Americans, yes. we've always kind of thought that uh, we were on the right side of history. Uh, and, um, you know, we have, there's these things, these little like data glitches, <laughs> Um, like we're in the matrix or something like, for instance, uh, the assassination of the two Kennedys and Martin Luther King, Mm -hmm. um, and what happened around the Vietnam war and, uh, the Bay of pigs and, you know, and, and you go on and on. There's so many down that road. Uh, you're, you're and, wondering, and people will use the term conspiracy theory, but so many of these things at, are factual. You can go read declassified documents about about the the Bay of Pigs that will show you evil things our government did. Op- Operation Mockingbird. Yep. Okay. Yep. Um. So. Uh. So here's a fun one. Uh, Matthias had encouraged Jill and I to engage with everybody, both sides. And we were approached by the New York Times uh, with this reporter. And frankly, it's our bad. We didn't do enough diligence on her. Her name was Davy Alba. And uh, it turns out that she was specifically hired for the disinformation beat. Uh, and if we had picked that out, if we had found her CV before she came and interviewed us here on the farm and we had her stay yeah. with us for a couple of days, uh, we probably would have said no, but we didn't. That's our bad. And Matthias, you know, not to blame him, but he was making the case that we should all kind of try to speak to as many people as we can. Well, yeah, you want to change minds. Yeah. And so, so Davy Alba is sitting there, uh, this reporter from the New York times and, um, and we start talking to her and, uh, and there's certain things she homes in on. She really wants to know about our sub stack and how much money we're making and how many subscribers we have. Of course, that all gets weaponized uh, right. in the article. But the yeah. the tell was she's sitting there on the couch and we're talking and I'm telling her the story 
about Michael Callahan, who called me on January 4th, who I absolutely know is a CIA agent. He was introduced to me as a CIA agent. I bet his handler, he's CIA. He was in Wuhan. He called me. He was in Wuhan in the fourth quarter of 2019. And so I started talking to her and I say, uh, you know, the CIA agent, Michael Callahan, and she immediately responds, ex-CIA agent. And I was like, boy, that's pretty specific <laughs> information there, honey. Right. Um, I'm pretty sure that Davy Alba uh, was intelligence. Probably. I mean, they, they we know we know the federal government has done that since the 60s. Like you said, Operation Mockingbird, they were placing they were placing CIA agents at places like CNN and NBC for the purpose of directing the news. That's they don't deny that there's it's out in the open. So it's, if they were doing it, it then, why would they not be doing it now? It's the of belief course. of our intelligence community. And remember, they're five eyes. So uh, another place this plays out is in the Wikipedia edit. Uh, the Wikip at this very I, aggressive interesting you say that. I just read your Wikipedia right before this, and, and it introduces you as a, a purveyor of disinformation. That's what it says about you. Yeah. Um, and and it originally it just had my CV. Okay. It just had the papers and stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, and then after I did the Brett Weinstein podcast, it just started being really aggressively edited uh, by this character, uh, Philip Cross. Um, there used to be a website called Wikispooks uh, that has been removed. And not only is it removed, but it's being scrubbed off of the Wayback Machine. Fascinating. Uh, good to know. Um, so we can't rely on the Wayback Machine anymore. Uh, but it documented the edits and Philip Cross. So Philip Cross uh, somehow, Philip Cross is a sock puppet. He's a sock puppet for either MI5 or MI6. He works uh, somehow 24 hours a day on Wikipedia edits and aggressively edits. If you look at the, for instance, ivermectin listings, anything having to do with ivermectin and ivermectin use in COVID, that's all been edited by Philip Cross to make it sound like it's a nasty, spooky business. Um, any of the dissenters or the docs or whatever, we've all been uh, thoroughly uh, maligned. And the thing about Wikipedia is that there's no recourse. You can't sue anybody. It's like suing a bowl of jello. Yeah. And and Philip Cross is high enough in the ranking that once that whatever Philip Cross is has done their edits, nobody else can can change those edits in the Wikipedia algorithms because he's too high up. Wow. And the point is that Philip Cross is British intelligence. We have this five eyes alliance. Um, and uh what it the way that that gets played is that. Technically, our intelligence community, with the exception of NSA, um, is not supposed to be acting domestically. They're supposed to be acting foreign. And so there's a reciprocal agreement. Basically, our guys hit the Brits and the Germans, and the Brits hit us. Uh, so the Brits can attack people, you know, citizens in domestic USA. Our people can attack uh, people in the UK. Um, and they all work together. And then there's the uh, Trusted News Initiative, which has also got a huge intelligence overlay component. That's uh, why all the news in this, all the censorship and the messaging is harmonized. Mm -hmm. uh, um, so 
we we absolutely do have a major problem. And it, you said you were reading the Substack. I don't know if you saw the Substack uh, with my analysis of the Politico article. No, I did not. Uh, came out. So so I was on Bannon. Bannon wanted me on the other day. Uh, and um, he wanted me to review this great big expose, quote unquote, that Politico had put out about the uh, role of the Gates Foundation and CEPI and Gavi and the Wellcome Trust, and that these four organizations had basically taken over the whole response. And and the article was written to basically talk about how poor Africa had never got any vaccines, which was a lie, Um, and uh, how these four organizations had taken everything over. And it wasn't really the nation's fault, and it wasn't the WHO's fault. It was basically... It was a huge long piece that threw Gates, Gavi, um, Seppi, and Welcome Trust under the bus. And so uh, Steve has me come on to talk about this, and uh, he's busy going on and on and on about uh, how amazing it is that Politico has written this. And I read the article, and I got it, and I say, Steve, you're totally missing it here. This is a limited hangout. Uh, this is absolutely reeks of intelligence. Uh, and what they do with a limited hangout or the famous line from Nixon, Haldeman, Ehrlichman was limited, modified limited hangout. But a limited hangout is an intelligence ploy. When, when the truth becomes so self-evident that you can't deny it anymore, then what you do is you deploy a whole bolus of truth information at a cloud uh, that is uh, everybody that reads it is and sees it is like, holy moly, look at this. Look at all this stuff. It's a distraction technique. And then what they don't do is uh, deploy the things that they really don't want you to know about. Gotcha. Right. They so it's a way of all this other stuff. So it's a way and of controlling the fast when- example of that. And what it was really all about is there's now a big push for the uh, voting on the international health regulation modifications, IHRs, that our HHS wanted to push up through WHO that would allow WHO to have unilateral authority to declare global health emergencies, right. yeah. enforce nation states and put in spies and all that kind of stuff. Um, and uh, also a big play uh, for uh, a ton more funding for the WHO. They think that uh, they did such a great job over the last two <laughs> and a half years that yeah. they know no, this is for real. The, the push is that all of the Western nations, the wealthy nations, should tithe uh, 0.1% of their revenue to the World Health Organization. Oh, my and God. World Health circumvent uh, the sovereignty of the individual nation states. And that's what that political article was about. Because if you read through it, it's got a whole bunch of suck up about Africa. And the people that it was the African states acting in unison that blocked uh, the international health regulations the last round, together with Russia and Brazil. So they're basically trying to co-op Africa, and they're playing it through this political article and if you read it now, having had this discussion, you're you're going to see. Oh my God, I can see that crystal clear. Um, yeah, but that's, I'm going to read it. This stuff. 
So what you're saying is they 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 know a story is getting out and and they're going to lose control of the narrative. So they they give you little bits and pieces that they want you to have and kind of steer you around the main plot and, and distract you from the things they don't want you to see. So in the if if you read the article, you'll see that the core assumption is the vaccines work like crazy. They're fully safe and effective. It says nothing about early treatment, um, and the whole problem was that we didn't get enough vaccines to the developing economies. And what they never mentioned is that in fact, the developing economies had the lowest case fatality rate worldwide, particularly yes. the Western economies that got all the vaccines. Yeah, um, I mean, we, we had all the death here in America. Uh, Africa was pretty well off. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, so so uh, that's that's how this game is played, okay? And and it is we we as I said in that article, uh, you know, this is your tax dollars at work. We pay for the privilege of having these people lie, censor, and uh, uh, propagandize us twenty four seven. Yeah. Well, doctor, it's been it's been very enlightening talking to you. I hope I hope the people after they hear this show, they listen to this show, they do go out and and look into some of these things that you've brought up. Uh, not just about the vaccine, but about government and the way our system works in general and how we are all just being, I don't want to say led to slaughter, but it kind of feels that way. They, they are misleading us purposely, misrepresenting things and stealing from us. Controlled. Yes, we're being controlled um, yes. uh, for for political and economic purposes. And uh, we we are losing our sovereignty. Well, um. Just, just last, last question because this this makes me think of this. Denmark has stopped giving the vaccines to anyone under fifty, so there are some places that are starting to reject them. Um, so it, it's not completely a fringe thing. Um, is this going to catch on in other places? Um, I, I, well, I, I'll tell you, Poland. Uh, we're in Gdansk. Uh, over the summer, just for a couple of days, and and running around with a cabbie, uh, Poland shipped all their vaccines back. They've had enough of this hmm. in last spring. Uh, they're they're done. <laughs> yeah, and the in the EU, as Jill's pointing out, she can't help but comment. Uh, the <laughs> EU is financially penalizing them for having done so. Okay, uh, but they don't care. <laughs> they're <Good>. done. <laughs> um, uh, I think much, you know. My African friends all tell me that uh, the uh, true vaccine uptake is a fraction of the fractional uptake that they has claimed because in Africa, it's all, you know, squirted over the back. Oh, you're vaccinated because uh, there's <laughs> there's so much mistrust. Yeah, um, I think that the uh, I take personal pleasure um, in a sense of vindication or success that the um, pediatric uptake of these, uh, particularly the boosters, has been extremely low in the United States. Yes. And well, you should take personal satisfaction and vindication in that because a lot of that can be attributed to you stepping up and putting the truth out there before really anybody else. So you should feel vindicated. And so, yeah, and they and some people w will want to label you mass murder or whatever you were talking about earlier. You've saved lives undoubtedly you've saved lives by putting this message out. Um, as I mentioned earlier, we, we just had a gentleman on today who lost his son 
Um, there's countless others out there. They get Maddie covered Gary, up. So yes. many others. Yeah. Yes. So thank you again for, for speaking truth, for being brave, for, for telling for telling people what you know as a professional and having the integrity to, to take that chance. Is there anything, uh, tell people where they can find you on Substack um, and anywhere else they can get more involved or learn more about these things you're putting out there. Yeah, we just had a little break. Sorry about that. I hope it recorded okay. Uh, the uh, Substack is rwmalonemd dot uh, uh and uh getter because i was deplatformed from twitter and linkedin right before the rogan hit uh strangely enough wow. uh with no ro- no warning from twitter by the way i did get my five they, strikes they deplatformed you without even like you didn't tweet something outrageous they just took you off they're like he's going to be on rogan this is going to be a problem they, they took you they, off so w- there's actually a lawsuit pending over this can ask that um and uh, they've identified that my sin was that I retweeted uh, a slide deck from the Canadian COVID Care Alliance uh, that had the title safe and effective question mark that reviewed the Pfizer data. Everything in it is true. Uh, but they didn't give me any, you know, their policy is five strikes and you're out. Mm. Uh, there was no strikes. It was just like you're out. Yeah. Um, that's what just happened to us on, on YouTube. We we interviewed yeah. three doctors in a row, the last one being Dr. McCullough. They gave us no warning. They gave us nothing. I just woke up and the channel was gone. Not only was, was the Dad Presents channel on YouTube gone, but they even shut down the personal account my wife and I have where we have hundreds of our baby videos just to be extra mean. Those baby videos are gone forever. We have them nowhere else. Yeah, that's that's akin. So I, I had the same... Uh, harm. I had uh, all kinds of photographs and images and videos and slide decks and stuff on LinkedIn uh, that went back decades. It was a major engine for my consulting business and it's just gone. Um, no, no. LinkedIn. LinkedIn. I mean, yeah, they, you hear they, about things like that, like PayPal taking away accounts and like, what do any of these people have to do with healthcare? What are they doing? They're clearly co-opted. They're doing the bidding of the federal government is what we yes. know. Yes. Um, so getting back. So uh, because of all that, I'm on Getter. And uh, when they kicked me off of Twitter, I was at about half a million. The Getter account is now up to 420, more or less, a uh, thousand. Uh, and uh, Gab and uh, Truth Social, I'm both on at RW Malone MD. The um, Telegraph. Uh, Telegram accounts are are uh, let's say fan. we can call them fan accounts or tribute accounts. Uh, they're not me, uh, so don't blame. They try to sell you vitamins. That's not me <laughs> doing that. Okay. And um, uh, let's see what else should I say, Jill? I, but, the, but there's a good Telegram account with two hundred twelve thousand. Yeah, there's a Telegram account with two hundred twelve thousand followers. That's pretty. Uh, it's been up there a long time, and they're pretty disciplined. All told, the Substack, we direct mail about 220,000 a day. And we have something between half a million and three quarters of a million views per day. And uh, our our reach now through all the social media channels, including Instagram, which has a couple hundred thousand, is uh, pushing a million now. Um, but the two that are the best, please, is the Substack. Uh, and you don't have to pay 
Uh, you get it direct mailed. If you want to pay, then you can be in the chat room. And that makes it so that you're not swarmed by trolls all the time because they don't want to pay five bucks a month. Uh, and uh, Getter is where I post stuff routinely. But thanks for asking. And yes. and the uh, uh, MaloneInstitute.org is being rebuilt right now. That's where we put a lot of the lengthier detail stuff. There's an Excel spreadsheet there you can grab. Uh, that has every single young leader program of the WEF graduate there, and you can search. So you can go search and find Gavin Newsom's name and Inslee's name and oh, wow. all the other yep. characters that are there in the state of California or throughout the United States or Switzerland or wherever you want to look uh, and find uh, who they are and who they work for and all that stuff. Yep. Um, yeah, we won't even get into all that. That's that's infuriating, Gavin Newsom. Oh boy. Um, all right, Doctor. Like I said, uh, thank you for coming on. And history will judge you. And I have a feeling it, you're going to be remembered very favorably. We we thank you for for what you're doing. And maybe we can get you back on in another year or so and talk about what's going on. Thanks. I I really appreciate your kind words. They mean a lot to me. All right. Take care, Doctor.